questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. According to José Luis Cordeiro, advisor at Singularity University, quote, In 2045, humans will be immortal, will be able to halt aging with a simple injection, unquote. Electronic devices are increasingly dominating our lives, but have we truly stopped to think how they will transform humanity? The application of new technologies to enhance the physical, intellectual, and mental capabilities of humans with the aim of eliminating illnesses, aging, or even death, is what is now known as transhumanism. How will genetic engineering affect future generations? Do nanotechnological brain implants infringe on the freedoms of human beings? Will they widen the gap between rich and poor, with the rich improving their organisms in order to suffer fewer illnesses and live longer, while others will be unable to afford this luxury? This alteration of human nature and the concept of equality of all human beings poses the need for a profound analysis of human rights, systems, and ethics. Technology is not the be-all and end-all, and not every technological development necessarily represents human progress. It depends what it is being used for, and if it truly helps human beings in accordance with the principles of respect for life, freedom, and justice. Finding the right balance is a challenge we will have to face in order to build the future. In March 2021, the Magyar Nemset, as republished by the Visegard Post, issued a scathing critique of the Schwabian Great Reset into a quote-unquote new transhumanist world order under transnational governance. The Schwabians, quote, want to replace democracy with complex governance, prioritize technocracy over elections and MPs, and emphasize, quote-unquote, expertise that the general public doesn't understand instead of transparency. Schwab predicts that today's external devices like laptops and virtual reality headsets will eventually, most likely, be able to be implanted in our bodies and minds, unquote. The critique writer termed all of this Davos-era neo-communism. The government always claims incompetence when they make a mistake. You can keep your doctor and your insurance rates will go down. More incompetence. Dr. Fauci has been in charge of preventing a pandemic for decades, and he's the highest paid government employee in the USA. More incompetence. This almost sounds like the same propaganda pushed on the people when the Federal Reserve was created. What did they say at the beginning of the 20th century? The government is not capable of setting monetary policy. So let's give full power to this group of international bankers. What happened immediately after? World War I, the Spanish flu, the Great Depression, World War II, and we have never extricated ourselves from that yoke. It's modern-day slavery, debt slavery. And to that, there's a new dawn of carefully crafted terms coming our way. Inclusive capitalism, courtesy of the Vatican, UBI, or Universal Basic Income, ESG, or Environmental, Social, and Corporate Governments, P3, or Public-Private Programs. Will you stand up, or will you embrace a transhumanist agenda? You are listening to Veritas. If this is your first time, welcome home. 
To listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, join the Veritas family and click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. You can make your purchase with a credit card, PayPal, cash, check, money order, and even cryptocurrency. We are now accepting Bitcoin, Litecoin, and Ethereum. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for Focused Life Force Energy, MMS, CBD Pure Hemp Oil, Pure Organic Sulfur, Flash Drives with all our Sanitas and Veritas Seasons, and other great products. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. And if you're listening on YouTube, like, subscribe, and share it. And click the bell to be notified when new interviews are available. And now, here's your host, Mel Hostelrick. Julianne Romanello earned her doctorate in political philosophy from Baylor University in Waco, Texas. In 2012, while at Baylor, Dr. Romanello earned the Richard D. Huff Distinguished Graduate Student in Political Science Award and passed a PhD comprehensive examinations with distinction. She is the author of many publications, and she's a wife and mother of four children. She now has a new website titled heartsoverhexagons.com. And directly from Tulsa, Oklahoma, I would like to welcome Dr. Julianne Romanello. Hello, Julianne, and welcome back to Veritas. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you so much for having me, Mel. It's a pleasure to be here. The pleasure and the honor is all mine. And as I told you before we began, I follow your page on a daily basis because I don't know how someone like you, who, may I say this, and I say this with sure. the utmost respect, <laughs> but you were a, a university professor until not too long ago. So you worked, I don't want to say you work in the belly of the beast, but you are a trained educator and you now are getting into deep rabbit holes and you are <laughs> providing this information to people in a manner where people look up to you. And I haven't seen somebody who could learn so much so quickly. How many years again, if, just to do a recap from our last discussion, how many, how long have you been into this journey? Oh, I am a newbie. Um, you know, my, I started digging into this stuff in April of 2019, and that's when my university was restructured in order to become a social impact uh, institution. And, you know, I just knew something was wrong. I knew that the language was sinister. I knew that the direction that the university was headed in had the feel of, you know, I thought it was like Soviet style, um, you know, I, ideology that was being promoted to us. So I just started to dig into that. And, and I spent a long time on education and, you know, just Googling uh, buzzwords like reimagining, reinventing. And, you know, for a while, I couldn't put all of it together because I kept running into different symbols repeated over and over again, hexagons and the term impact. And I kept seeing about AI and blockchain technology. And those didn't seem immediately related to education, but I knew that the repetition was significant. So, you know, it was about um, maybe six months after, 
you know, April of 2019, that I, I started to put it all together. And from there, I just, you know, I went straight to the UN and the trilateralists and, you know, all of this terrible stuff that I never in my life would have ever imagined I would be digging into. But it's all right there. It's in white papers. It's on websites. I don't use the deep web. And and the evidence is just astounding. But nobody really wants to to talk about it. And a lot of people don't have the time to do the kind of digging that I did. So, so I do try to educate people. And that's always been a passion of mine. And gosh, right now it is, it is just imperative that, that people understand what's happening. Well, I say this again, you are a formally trained researcher. So when you yes. see information, you, you tend to either put them on the side and say, this makes sense or this doesn't make sense. How have you been able to distill all this information that's out there? Because obviously there's misinformation, there's disinformation. How do you discern? Well, you know, I, I always try to go to the primary sources. I mean, that's something that I would do in a classroom, you know, teaching political philosophy, um, you know, teaching the great books. I would say, don't use a textbook. We don't want to use someone else's gloss on, you know, a, a, a person's thought, especially someone who is, whose writings have been, uh, they've stood the test of time in order to make it into the canon of Western civilization. Uh, we don't want to take someone else's word, uh, for what they say. We want to look at the primary text and see what each of these thinkers say. So I've, you know, I've taken the same approach with digging into the fourth industrial revolution and techno-fascism. And that is to say, you know, I spend a lot of time just looking at uh, corporate websites and the papers that different corporations publish or that our government publishes because that's all you really need, you know. I'll see sometimes on on Facebook or other social media people who are skeptical of, you know, what conspiracy theorists have to say. They they'll often, you know, say, "Well, you you just watched that on some YouTube video." <laughs> and I mean, there's a lot of great information out on YouTube, so I'm not disparaging that. But I have found it much more helpful and much more efficient just to follow the money, follow the lines of influence, um, and look at the corporations themselves that are doing this kind of thing. I, you, if, if anyone visits the World Economic Forum's website, you, you can read all of this for yourself. <laughs> so... So that is a huge part of it. It's just making sure that your sources are good sources. Now, uh, you know, the maybe the tricky part is to unpack what those sources are really telling us. And that's where I do think my academic training has proved very helpful because I studied the philosophy, uh, the life and writings of Eric Vogelin, who was a 20th century political philosopher, 
And he was interested really in everything. Um, he was a, he had a lot of wonder and he studied languages and consciousness and history and politics and never got enough of, of any of them. So uh, so what he what his question was that sort of motivated his intellectual uh, endeavors was it was a practical question. It was a political question. And later he would come to argue that it was a spiritual question. And that is, how do we explain the fact that in the 1930s and 40s in Germany, you had many educated people, many normal, mainstream um, middle class people who would n- who would watch the atrocities that were being prepared by the Nazi regime. Uh, they would watch it and not do anything, you know. And in fact, many people, and especially in the academy and in politics, actually condoned those those horrific actions. Um, so Vogelin was, you know, he he lived in Germany and was watching these things develop and he he wanted to answer the question how could it come to be that so many people who would seem to have a solid intellectual ethical uh, spiritual foundation how could they go so wrong on this very obvious question and so he started to dig you know how do we explain this and and he started looking at symbols of order and disorder in in our political and historical and spiritual expressions. You know, that is like the great art that was produced by people or, you know, canonical text in the different faith traditions. And he would say, what does this tell us about um, the health of the soul? So my academic training... Uh, you know, it's very, I mean, in a way, my quest here has really mirrored Eric Vogelin's. Uh, but besides that, like the, you know, researching techno-fascism and spending a lot of time with like Deloitte and McKinsey white papers, it seems so far from you know, writing about a political philosopher who looked to Plato as a guide. But what really helped me to do this latest uh, endeavor (laughs) that I'm, you know, fully absorbed in was the sensitivity to how symbols are repeated and they convey meaning and they shape our thoughts. And, you know, if you look at at the corporate marketing, there are repetitions over and over again. And I knew those had to be meaningful. And so I drew on this academic training that I had um, in Vogelin's thought and, and unpacking symbols of order and disorder to help me understand how to interpret the statements that these large corporations and governments are are providing us with. So that's been a major focus of, of 
my little social media campaign, as it were, is to try to help other people of all walks of life. I don't care who you are, if you're an academic, if you, you know, never went to school, uh, you know, left, right, it doesn't matter to me. Like every, every person needs to know what really is going on in our world. Uh, but I think that it's only going to be meaningful to each individual if they can really see it for themselves. And in order to see it for themselves, they're going to have to know how to, how to cut through the lingo that has been developed over decades of mark, you know, and, of marketing research and funded with big bucks from the government and, and corporate coffers. So, so I do try to help people understand what do these buzzwords mean? What it, what is sustainable development? What is economic development? Uh, Those phrases sound very benign, especially if you're new to studying this stuff. I mean, you know, I'm very, I think, sympathetic toward normies (laughs) because I really was clueless for such a long time. So I try to remember that, you know, I was, I I was naive and I was doing my own thing and, and, you know, other people are in that situation and they have busy lives and, you know, lots of concerns and, and that's by design too, how busy we are. Uh, so if I can help them get into that uh, process of understanding what these words mean, if I can give them a little bit of an edge, then they can decide how to respond to this crisis that we're facing. And it is a crisis. It's every day I'm shocked at how fa- how far this has already progressed, and I'm shocked at where it's going, you know, these, I mean, it's just, it's unbelievable. And, you know, I have four children. We talked about that last time and I don't want, I don't want them to grow up in the kind of world that's being created. I don't want anyone's children to have to grow up in that. I don't want anyone's parents or elders or, or any other person to, you know, to have to deal with the surveillance and the control that's being laid out as we speak every day, you know? I saw someone the other day with a big banner standing on the side. I should have taken a picture on the side (laughs) of a road. And he looked like a clean cut person. And it said, I had to do something. I don't want my my children in the future. Something along those lines. I don't remember exactly, but something along the lines of, I tried to do something and I would have wanted my children to know that I didn't do anything. It's almost yeah. as if people are saying things, as you said, they're progressing so rapidly that the normies, I'm glad you're using that name. I used, <laughs> I used to use, and I apologize because I used to use a more derogatory term. I used to call this zombified population. I like normies because may I say that it's, it's some people say, uh, knowledge is is a uh, what do you call it? Wisdom or knowledge is is an option right now, and anybody who wants to continue turning on the mainstream media, that's their choice. But normies, if you are listening, and I know you are, because you write to me on a 
almost on a daily basis, I have new people coming in because they feel that we're not judging them. We really are not. We want right. to present the information. And many of you, just like it happened to me many, many years ago, when somebody said to me, look at the Pentagon, nothing crashed there. And I said, are you really insinuating that our well-intentioned government had something to do with this? Don't talk to me. That was yeah. one, of my, one of my brothers. And I stopped talking to him for months thinking, how dare you? But then in silence, and this is what these normies who listen to us are doing. They're listening to you and to other guests. In silence, they start digging deep and deep and deep. And then they write back two, three months later and they say, my goodness, where was I? So do you yeah. think there's, and especially COVID, has a lot of people, you know, working from home. They have probably had more time to research. Do you think this COVID-1984 situation has awakened a lot of people who were asleep less than a year ago? You know, my sense of it is that it has, you know, and and I've only been in, you know, I've only been in this for two years. And so it's hard to sort of judge like how receptive people are now in relation to, you know, back in uh, 2001 or something. And I mean, I was in the same position that you describe. I, you know, I taught American government and I love, I love reading our founding texts. <laughs> and so this was, this was something that was a rude awakening for me because for so long, I mean, I've taught these things. I've said, look at this. Like we have all of these checks and balances. We have this amazing political system that it does channel conflict in such a way that we can have political disagreements without erupting into a civil war. And, and, and I have to say, I mean, I still, I still think that there are very good ideas at the heart of like the American experiment in government, you know, not all. I mean, I've learned some things, you know, in the past, like several months that, that just, I don't know, they make my heart heavy, really. <laughs> but, but, you know, so, so I always had this sort of positive idea about the accomplishment of, of, of the American Constitution and the Bill of Rights and our form of government and our federal system. So it was, it was extremely difficult for me to, to, entertain the idea that like 9-11 was an inside job, you know, because it just, it just was, it was difficult. So I, I totally empathize with those people who have not, who have not made it there yet, or who are just making it there because it, it is difficult. And I think American, Amer the American public by and large, like we're, you know, we're, kind of, we're nice people. I'm just going to say it. <laughs> like, I mean, I, I, I'm going to just say I, most Americans that I know are good hearted and they're kind, they want to help others, but they're very naive. I, and I was the same way. And, and a lot of that has to do with the school system. A lot of that has to do with how, uh, how total and complete the hold over our public media is, you know, when you look at really who runs the media, 
I mean, it's a handful of very powerful corporations who work in concert with each other. And and most people don't know that. And so they listen to these things and they think, oh, yeah, like, you know, journalists are interested in communicating truth and they don't question it. Uh, but I think that the enormity of COVID-1984, or I like to call it the coronapocalypse, you know, I think the enormity of it and and the mockery, and we can get into that in just a minute, that's gone on with it is so blatant. It's so in your face that many, many people who would not have questioned the government or, you know, their their city governments, state governments, or the corporations or the nonprofits, people are starting to question those groups now because we have, we're over a year into an entire inversion of life. <laughs> you know, the work from home is, I mean, I think it is oppressive. People need to get out They need to be treated as professionals. And when you're at home, especially if you have children, you know, or somebody else working at home with you, you know, it is not a professional environment. It's a sloppy environment, you know, unless you're set up to do that, you know, and you've been set up to do it for a long time. But, But people who went from an office to a makeshift room or corner in their house, I think this is this is a huge change. And the fact that we aren't, people aren't back at the offices yet, that's nuts. (laughs) I mean, no one is, people are not dropping dead in the streets from COVID. And, you know, and then we're seeing these rollouts of the vaccine and the propaganda that's associated with it. You know, you don't have that kind of propaganda with other vaccines. I mean, with, you know, the, like, uh, tetanus shots or what is it? I think that's like mixed into a DTAP shot. I mean, MMR, things like that. Um, never this kind of propaganda and concerts and, oh, look, you can, if, if you can prove that you've gotten the shot, you get to wear a special pin at work. That was going on at a university here in Tulsa. Not the one that I worked at, but a different one. You know, that, that I think people are starting to see that this is all nuts. And we had holidays canceled, graduations canceled. Um, you know, I think also I would like to say that those of us who are out there yelling constantly, wake up, wake up. I mean, I think that probably our persistence has helped. <laughs> I mean... That I, I have found a few people who knew me before and who saw my transition into, you know, into a researcher of, consp- you know, of conspiracies and an analyst of, of these things. You know, they saw that transition. They thought, oh, Julian's like, you know, she's just upset that she lost her job mm. and... <laughs> And, and she's just venting. But I think that, you know, after two years of me posting things constantly and, and I give talks locally and, you know, try to 
you know, make time for interviews like this one. I think that after two years when I haven't given up, then they've realized, oh, yeah, it wasn't just, you know, Julianne having a midlife crisis over losing her job. (laughs) No, there's really something there. And, oh, these things that she keeps pointing out about, say, how nonprofits are moving into different sectors of of the economy. Oh, it makes sense. It makes sense what she was saying about, you know, social impact bonds and public-private partnerships. And, oh, we're seeing all of that now. And, oh, she said that they were going to track our health. And now we're seeing our employer issue this app, you know, that you can log your daily steps and get an extra 25 bucks a month, you know. Oh, she said all that. So I think I think that the totality of this coronapocalypse and the persistence of truth tellers, um, truth activists, whatever, I still haven't found a good word for what we do, you know. Um, I think that it it has made a shift. And I I hear from people, you know, by way of a message you know, on Facebook or LinkedIn or, you know, just a plain email and they'll say, you know, I I know something's up and I just want to, I just want to do something. I just want to help. And, you know, even just they'll, sometimes people will look at a specific area like we, like education. They'll say, my, my, I know that the kids need to be back in school or I know that these computer generated programs are not healthy for my child. And they'll say, how can we fight this? So, so I don't know, Mel, I think that people are waking up and I'm hoping that they, that these social engineers have gone too far. You know, I'm hoping that they have, they have really got, you know, gotten themselves into a mess. Now, every day though, I keep finding other things that seem like, oh, well, they, they've, revealed this or they've flubbed up in this area, but it just opened up the door for a new area that how, and I say, how did they do that so well? (laughs) But, you know, what can we do? Like you see it happen, you help people to understand it and, and, and knowledge is power. And like you say, there is, there is no reason why anyone has to be in the dark about what's going on. You know, you look at the CDC's data and you're going to just be blown away by the discrepancy between their numbers and then the the narrative that is presented on mainstream media. You know, unless you, are, you just don't want to see that discrepancy, uh, you know, unless you have some real a mental block, then you're going to look at it and you're going to say, what on earth are we doing? So I hope that they've played their, they've overplayed their hand and that, you know, more and more people are going to wake up. But I will say I am a little bit impatient at this point in, in this game. (laughs) Are we all, but not only are you so eloquent when you convey your message, but you, you have such a calm and collected demeanor that you bring people's guards down, I think. That's why they a lot of them pay attention because sometimes there's a lot of people out there yelling through a you know a, a, out there and people just get turned off by that sometimes. 
But if you do it in such a calm and collected way, and you say, look, you don't have to believe me. All this data is out there, as you mentioned before, the World Economic Forum. Find out who Klaus Schwab is. Find out who all these people are. And by the way, before I forget, I don't know if you know the name Rosa, Rosa Corey, but she yes. was the one who enlightened me about Agenda 21 many years ago. And I just heard from Christy, one of our listeners, that uh, apparently, and I have not confirmed this, but I want to just put it out there just in case, that she apparently passed away yesterday. <gasps> and on the 22nd of May, she tweeted out, and I'll read it here. She said, please pray for me, my friends, even, th uh, even through this hard fight we're in, this struggle to direct our lives in a natural, dignified, human way. We need to keep our love glowing. Thank you for caring. I'll feel your prayers. This is on the 22nd. I just sent her a message on Skype and on email. I have not heard back from her. But what I'm told is that Deborah Tavares, another of our guests here, who's a good friend of this show, she is the one who confirmed it. I still have to confirm through more people. But I just want to send that out there. Rosa was a great person. And uh, as, as you know, she was a Democrat, but she was on our side. And this is why yeah. I want to tell people, listen, if you listen to this program, whether you're left or right, I don't care. You are my brother. You are my sister. And I want you to have peace and health in life. It doesn't matter where you are. This division that is being caused by the controllers, because they want to, they're laughing at us. This whole division and the virtual signaling. You know, I live yes. in Southern Arizona. I was you know, more in tune with socialism. And sometimes I see people who are very withdrawn. Now they love this. They love to stay at home. They don't like to go out. They want to tell you to wear the mask. There are some people out there that truly believe that this should be the way of the future. Oh, and I remember yeah. years ago, I read a book by uh, the name of the author was Faith Popcorn. The Popcorn Report. And this is in the 90s. And she was talking mm -hmm. about in the future, there might be something that causes the population to live in cocoons, in cocoons <gasps> at home. Wow. You don't go to work. You stay at home. You do your shopping from home. And when you think of the word apartment, yes. this is what they want. <laughs> they want their population completely segregated. And this has nothing to do with racism. They just want us to be separated because when we are united, we win. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's terrible news about Rosa Corey. Um, you know, I watched one of her interviews. She she had an interview with Chris Hedges, and I think the title, if you were, if I found it on YouTube, was uh, "One Bay One Bay Area." And that interview made so much sense to me because. You know, like, as I told you, I've been looking at these symbols and patterns over and over again. And Rosa Corey discussed, I mean, she gave her interesting history and, you know, of finding out about these Agenda 21 plans. And she really had such a, a fascinating story. Um, and I think it was, it really was wonderful that she came from the left, you know, Uh, that was a huge help to to have her uh, her intelligent voice and her generous spirit and and also just her demographic that she was you know she affiliated with the left. Yeah, uh, it was a huge uh, 
benefit to our cause, you know, the cause of just helping people understand what these elites have been working on over the past uh, century. And so she described this plan, One Bay Area, and she said, you know, if you look, they all, they have one or unified or unitary, you know, in all, in almost all of their plans. And I just was in awe. And I thought, that's exactly like what I have found in Oklahoma. You know, we have an education plan called One Oklahoma, our high-speed internet, you know, it's a research network. It's called One Net. All the chambers of commerce had these legislative programs. Ours was called One Voice. So over and over again, one, 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 one. And I thought, why on earth is this repeated over and over again? And, you know, who's doing this? And she made sense of it. And for me, you know, and she, and she explained how the, you know, the Agenda 21 lobby works and, and it works outside of traditional political channels. And, and it has these plans that look so nice on their glossy, uh, their glossy white papers. And so that really is ter- is terrible news to hear that about her. Um, oh, so I mean, I'll wait to really get upset about it till it's confirmed. But I, ho- I hope it's gee, not that true. Gee, I, I know, but that really would be a loss. Yeah. Um, but yeah, to your point about, I mean, and I, I just have to thank you for your kind words about how I present this stuff. You know, some some of my friends say otherwise. They're like, they say, Julian, you are, you're so, uh, well, I mean, I've heard, I, they've said some mean things to me, like in real life. You know, they said, Julian, you're so pointed in, in your comments. And really, I, I mean, I try not to be mean. Um because that's not going to win anyone over, and I and I genuinely like people. Are they <laughs> so offended? I don't want to be mean to them anyway. Are they offended but, by the truth? Is that what's going on? Well, you know, so you know, most people who are who are trying to fight this technocratic takeover of our life, you know, they understand that you have to work locally, like you know the. The federal level is it's totally corrupt, and this is a bottom up strategy. And they use the globalists, they use that term, uh, bottom up policy making. So you start with the mayors, and you know, Bloomberg finances a consortium of mayors, actually, I think a couple of different consortia that have different names and do the same thing, you know. Uh, so there is, there is a, you know, there's a local force that is imposing these Agenda 21, um, 4IR, Great Reset programs. And so if you really want to fight it, you're going to have to do it at the local level. And so part of my strategy in terms of, of trying to help people understand this is to point out the individuals who locally who are doing this stuff. So, you know, I write about our lousy mayor a lot and 
And I say, Mayor Bynum has said this. This is what it really means. And Mayor Bynum is not supporting education. And he is totally on the side of Bloomberg and Rockefeller, you know. And and I say things like that. And it's all true. I mean, you can – it doesn't take a deep web search to find out the different connections that are there between our mayor and Michael Bloomberg, you know, or our mayor and – the leaders, there's a leadership institute in the UK, you know, that, and he was a keynote speaker. Like, how does a mayor from Tulsa, Oklahoma, end up speaking at this very prestigious leadership council that with ties to, I think it, it's um, Prince Charles or Prince William, I'm not sure either one, but, uh, you know, these connections are real and they're there and and I think it's really rotten that our mayor is going to sell out his neighbors, you know, to to bad guy impact investors. So I do say stuff like that and people have they've said, well that's you know, that's really inappropriate, Julianne, or it's mean or it's harsh and and you know, my response is, well, it's true. It's absolutely true and if you don't want this to happen to your children. And, you know, I, I do tend to focus on education and human capital profiling and things like that. So I say, if you do not want your child to be pumped into the P20 pipeline to the workforce, you're going to have to go after our mayor. You're going to have to realize that he is actively promoting policies that turn your child into a data commodity. And, and so that has been, you know, uh, I mean, I've lost some friends over it and like real, I thought they were real friends for, you know, years and years, but they did not appreciate that. And, you know, the truth hurts, but also this guy's a, he's a politician, so I'm not attacking. I mean, I don't even feel like it's attacking, but, but if you want to call it that, like, I'm not going after a private person who might just be ignorant of what he's doing. Like this is a political figure. He is elected and in his capacity as mayor, you know, he's doing these things. But, you know, that that's what people, you know, I've I've caught a lot of heat, you know, from people that I know in real life over that. But on the flip side, you know, I really have I have heard I have heard such supportive and encouraging comments, you know, from normal, normal people all, all over the world who have said, Julian, I really appreciate your posts. It makes sense of this. And I appreciate how you set it up. And I try just to be factual and I try to think, well, two years ago, I didn't know any of this. So what would have convinced me, <laughs> you know, and what matters to me and, and how would, I have started to question this dominant narrative. So I try to write things like that. And also, you know, I am a curious person. <laughs> so it's fun, too. I mean, I don't talk about that quite so often. But the, but trying to, to figure out what can, like, how can I present this stuff in a way that is going to be accurate and 
effective, you know, like in terms of giving people the information that is most helpful and useful to them? And how can I do that in such a way that it's more compelling than Deloitte and McKinsey, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, so I don't know. And I've got, and I have a lot of, I have met a lot of wonderful people throughout this two-year-long journey, you know, people who have doing, been doing this for much longer than I have. And, you know, it's a burden and it takes a toll. It takes a toll on the individual. It takes a toll on families and, and you know, other relationships and things. And by and large, I, I have found that the people who are trying to do what you and I are doing, you know, they, it's because you care about other people. And like you say, it doesn't matter if you're left. It doesn't matter if you're right. Uh, it goes really to our essential humanity. Like, do we want to do we want to dominate over other people, or do we really respect their their freedom and their agency? And I mean, you know, I think we talked last time. You know, I am a Christian and, and I do believe that we're all created in the image of God, you know? And so I think that those of us who are trying to do this, like really it's because we care about human beings as human beings. So, so I try to keep that as, as a focus um, when we talk about these things, but, you know, I mean, I'll use some, I'll use some tough language for the social engineers, like those guys at the top. I, I don't care about calling them evil. I think we should and we have to call them evil because <laughs> they are. They're so bad. And this is the part that I don't understand from people. They see that the media is telling them how to live, what to think, what to say. It's no longer the Department of Education. It's the Department of Indoctrination. And this is the way it has been right. for a long time. And you probably know this more than I do. But it's not surprising when you think of the father of modern propaganda, Edward Bernays, and yeah. what he did all the way with cigarettes and and all of it during World War II. He was used to, he was probably the right hand of Franklin Delano Roosevelt, but you know, marketing the the war efforts and so on. But yeah. then he had a grand nephew with the name of Mark. Bernays Randolph, who founded none other than Netflix. So when you oh, ne watch yeah. Netflix, you are essentially watching propaganda. Yeah, there might be a show here or there that people like. But if you look and you really dissect every scene of every show, you know it's part of the agenda. I, I tend to do that now when I, I have not canceled it because to me it's part of my training. I yes. want to watch what they're trying to do behind the scenes. All the people who say, I'm not going to be supporting this anymore. Well, you're disconnecting yourself from the script. Do you want to know what's coming ahead? Well, maybe you need to discern a little bit of what they're telling you. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, I'm the same way. You know, I use Time Magazine a lot. Uh, and I, I'll show screenshots of, you know, different images that are presented in in that new world order rag. <laughs> and, you know, if you, you have, I think that some people need to be looking at these and decoding them for other people. 
So, you know, you can read these, you know, speaking of, of time, you know, they presented, there was an, a full issue dedicated to the Great Reset. And if you read this stuff, you know, uncritically, then you're going to think it's a great program. And you're going to think that there is worldwide consensus and, you know, you're going to think, why haven't we done this sooner? But, you know, there is a huge propaganda machine supporting that effort. And, you know, of course, Time Magazine goes back to Rockefeller and, and the trilateralists. And and it's always been propaganda. I think that it, the, the nuance of the propaganda has diminished that which is to say i think that it's so in your face right now but like you point out our education systems have been they've been dumbing people down for a long time and then you know the effect that television has on the way that we process information and when people are staring at a screen all the time uh, and just passively receiving these images. You know, I, I read someplace not too long ago that if you are watching a television show, the, the visual images actually produce alpha waves in your brain. And those are waves that you get just as you're ready to fall asleep. Hypnotized. Yes, exactly. And, you know, and so if you are watching these images, I think, you know, even if you are a critical viewer, you know, you're still being sort of hypnotized. You're being lulled into this very suggestible state. And, you know, and the same doesn't happen if you're listening to the television. So a lot of times, you know, I'll listen to uh you know, some kind of video interview maybe, you know, and I won't be able to watch it because I'm folding laundry or something, you know, but I'll listen to it. And and the same study found that if you are only, if you, you're listening to the audio of that television program, then you do not have the same uh, shift in your brain waves. So it really is the visual image. And so, as we've had TVs in every private home, you know, whatever messages these elites want to send to us, we have welcomed them into our homes and not even just in the living room, like the sleeping hypnosis room now, you know, once you put a TV into it. But but in every room, there's, you know, American families have a TV and that is, it's making us intellectually uh, like flabby, you know, like it, it's really dulling down our capacity for critical reflection so that when we're confronted with propaganda, we simply cannot, like, we cannot pierce through it. Now, you know, so I think those of us who are aware of these things, you know, we do need to be watching the propaganda so that we can help explain it to others you know, as much as we can. So I like to point out, oh, look here, here's this picture from Time Magazine and see all of the purple in it. And that's a trope that I've, 
I just happened to be following for a while, you know, and and this is what the purple means. And here's what this symbol right here means. And, you know, when you see the language of impact and opportunity and, you know, like economic development, this is what it means. So I, I think that you need folks like us to to be watching it and to, you know, sometimes that means that you have to financially support it. But I think that there's a trade-off there and we just have to make, a, you know, a well-reasoned decision about that. Um, but yeah, Netflix, you know, I I watched the show, I, I used to like the show Orange is the New Black, you know, it's about a women's prison. And, I mean, it. It, it had some scenes in there that were like gratuitous sexual scenes and it, it could have been made without that. But, you know, I sort of, you know, like I'm as I was watching, it, I'm thinking, well, I know that sex sells. So it, I just try to filter that out. But I I liked that show because I thought, oh, look, it shows the humanity of these women inmates and you know, I thought that the plot line and the character development was, you know, it was impressive. And I, I really appreciated that series. Well, as I started to understand what social impact investing is and how that is a financial system of basically profiting off of fixing people who you have broken and that's sustainable economic development right there, uh, I started to realize, oh my gosh, this show, Orange is the New Black, where you have all of these women in prison. Uh, and in one episode, they had the the prison guards playing a game that they had made up called Fantasy Inmate. And they would rank all of the different women and say, oh, well, this one has a propensity to fighting or this one has this handicapped or whatever, you know, and they would rank all of them and play basically like fantasy football, uh, but with these inmates. And as I got into understanding how these markets of trauma work for social impact investing, I realized, oh my gosh, this is a prediction about how we're going to live, you know? So like we are being put into, into this prison, all of us, you know, and just like you say, people are going to be kept in their own little cells, their apartments, their pods, um, you know, separated from each other in a cubicle behind a screen. And you're going to be in prison like this physically and also digitally as you're behavior is tracked and traced as your emotions, your thoughts, you know, your interests, your web searches, whatever. It's all and the social and score. Traced. Yeah. Yes. It's setting up a social credit scoring. And if you think about like how fantasy football works or fantasy inmate, it's all about, you know, a player's, uh, likelihood of being successful in some situation or maybe it's a team I don't you know I don't play fantasy football so I don't know the exact rules of it but as I was watching this show on Netflix I thought or after the fact I thought that is exactly what is being set up for us and then at the end toward the very end of the series 
they had, and this was, I think, I, I know I understood social impact finance by this point because as Tony, my husband, and I we were watching this show, and I think I, I just smacked him when, when they showed this image of one of the prisoners who who had served her time, so she had been, uh, she had re-entered society, and she'd met a friend who worked for a big foundation, and they go to, you know, a fancy gala together, and on, you know, you have all of these well-to-do people who think that they're helping, I can't remember what particular charity it was that they were working in. Uh, but they're hearing, oh, this is this program's going to affect so many people's lives in a positive way. And then, and this is in the in the episode, on the big screen of this uh, of this fundraising event, it flashes the word impact. And that's when I just turned to Tony and I smacked him and I was like, "What? Can you believe that? They just put it right." There, it's so in your face. So I think you're absolutely right, Mel. I hope that wasn't too much of a digression, but no, it is. It is absolutely amazing, and I think you are right. Like every single scene of, you know, of the entertainment channels, of the news channels, of books. Gosh, I have I read some books like. Usually I'm reading old books, but a couple of summers ago I was getting caught up on contemporary literature. And after I read those, looking back like a, you know, say a year after I had read them, I thought these were all priming. It's all priming people for what what we're living today, you know. It's really twisted. And it's hard, I think it's it is hard to you know, to accept that because, you know, like like one of the books I read, I read a book uh, entitled Lilac Girls. And it wasn't, in my opinion, it wasn't great literature. It was sort of a page turner because it was it was a World War II story and it was about um, these, the um, Polish, it was about a Polish women who had been in a concentration camp, which one was it? Ravensbrück, I believe. And it was talking about how they had been used as experimental subjects for these insane and cruel medical experiments. So it was a page turner, but it wasn't great literature. But looking back now, after COVID, looking back at that book, I think this, like the, the, scenes, the plot, uh, the different dynamics that are depicted in this novel. I mean, it's, it's a novel, but it was based on his, on historical fact. Those we're all, we're seeing the whole thing play out right now. So it, I think it's difficult to come to that realization and it make it's, it leaves you sort of lonely for, <laughs> you know, for, for, you know, uh, for good entertainment <laughs> because you think, well, if something is a bestseller, if it's a popular book, if it's a, if it's a TV show, if it's a, you know, if it's on the big screen, it is all there for a reason and to prime us for something. And, Oh, it really, you know, kind of, it sort of ruins your 
chances for a Friday night date, I would think. <laughs> especially, especially those of us who discern maybe 10, 20 years ago when we were watching similar shows, we were just watching for the entertainment and we're not you know, stepping out and we let suspension of disbelief take over. But, you know, I'm thinking 2008, Obama came along, took power in 2009, and I have here an article from June 13th, 2009, just a few months after the inauguration. Since June 13th, 2009, full-power television stations nationwide have been required to broadcast exclusively in a digital format. The switch from analog to digital broadcast television is known as the digital television transition. So it makes you wonder. Why, during the Obama administration, they had such a concerted effort to push for digital TVs, and they were giving people free converters, free TVs, instead of questioning why our well-intentioned government is doing this, we should question why. Could it be that they want to hypnotize the population more efficiently? And I think the answer is yes. It's just like uh, I saw uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci, uh, in a video from some time ago where he had a slip of the tongue. He said, well, COVID-17, I mean, 19. <laughs> and then I realized, because we get, we connect dots, this is what we do, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. And he thought somebody else was supposed to win in 2016. So uh-huh. in reality, COVID-19 should have happened in 2017. And imagine, what would where would we be now after four years of the same story? I bet you that when... Trump came along, and some people say, "Hey, Mel, come on now. He's one of. He's just another puppet, and this and that." But hey, at least we had better gas prices. I don't mean to get political here, but we had a better sure. life for the last four years. I'll be the yeah. first one to tell you that. Had it been the other candidate, where would we be today? And are they just delaying it, and they're starting in twenty twenty? Is that what happened? You think? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I. I don't, I don't know. Uh, I mean, I'm not sure that, I mean, I would have to look at a lot of stuff to, to think about the ramifications of that happening in 2017, you know, uh, because 2020 seems like, to me, it seems like an important number for them. Uh, you know, like they, these elites and a, and occultist, that's some place I never yeah, thought neurology. I would get into in my in my studies, you know, but it, you can't help bumping into it. They do like their numbers. And now, well, now come to think of it, in 2017, that would have been 100 years after the Spanish flu. Exactly. It? Yeah. And, uh, and also the Reformation was on the 17th. It, you know, the Protestant Reformation, wasn't it? It was on, it was 1517, I believe, wasn't it? So I think that, huh, now that you mention it, that makes me wonder if, you know, if that would have been a very significant number as well, but there was a, a kink in the plan, huh? Uh, yeah, I don't know how, what that would have looked like, um, but it's interesting that you mentioned that the the transition to digital TV under Obama, because of course, Obama was the one who was giving away free phones, smartphones to, to poor people. Right. (laughs) And, and it was like, Oh, I, I mean, I remember hearing people say, why, 
you know, why is the, you know, the government helping out these people with these phones? You know, it cost me 400 bucks to get a phone, but, you know, some, somebody can just get a free one from the government. And I, and it's because if it's free, you're the product. And it was, you know, it was a pilot for the massive rollout of this track and trace technology. So that's, huh, that's really, now I had not thought about the, you know, the slip of the tongue in the 2017. I'm going to have to really think hard about that one. But yeah, I mean, I think that, but you know, both sides are, uh, you know, the political spectrum, they're both involved in this. And like you say, these elites like to pit us against each other and, and, and watch the show. And I said earlier something about, you know, you asked about whether or not people, more people are waking up now. And, and I mentioned, you know, just that they have gone so far with this plan. It's really, it's not subtle. It can't be ignored. So I think that that is a, a catalyst for people waking up, but also the mockery. And these, you know, I just, really two years ago, I never would have expected to hear these words come out of my mouth, but, but these elites love to mock people. And so they like to pit left and right against each other. They like to make, you know, politicians flip-flop and then watch the show and see what we'll do. And, um, you know, I think they do that with with the the media, with like the time, like the pictures that are presented in Time Magazine, they're making fun of us with the books that they publish. They're making fun of us, and and I, I mean, I really think that's rotten. <laughs> but it, but it is there, and so I, if we can figure out, like, what are they making fun of us about, and how do we provide and entertainment for them, you know, and if we can stop that, then, you know, by say, not stoking the left right divide, um, then I, I think that that would, you know, put us ahead a little bit. But also at the same time, I have found just speaking very candidly, like, and, you know, um, generally, you know, most people whom I've encountered who really understand this stuff, they do tend to be more con- like conservative leaning here in the States at least, or they're on the far left, like, you know, sort of to where uh, they're like anarchists and, you know, sort of where the left meets the libertarians. Right. Uh, and I think the common denominator that I've found just in my personal experience is that by and large, like conservatives in this country tend to be open to, uh, to, to the existence of God, you know? And, and I think that you, you do have to have some sort of a spiritual perception orientation to be able to see this stuff. And it, that does not mean that you have to be a Christian to see it. It doesn't mean that you 
have to be, you know, a, a member of or identify with one of the three um, monotheistic faiths. But because I've met people of all sorts of religious persuasions, but but I think that we do see more conservatives here who get it and and who understand that there's something going wrong. Um, and I think that that's because the conservatives are more open to spiritual reality versus, you know, kind of mainline uh, progressive thinking uh, liberals, you know, who have adopted this paradigm of of science and of historical progress. And most of the major religious traditions view history as uh, as well, I mean, we have cycles in history, so that's like anti-progressive, but also, you know, in the Christian tradition anyway, you have the sacred history and secular history and you're not going to make moral progress in secular history. So, you know, that's what the kind of middle of the road, Democrats, liberals, progressives, whatever you want to call them, like I, I see them wanting to, well, I see them like promoting a philosophy of history that is, that is progressive. It thinks that we do make these this moral progress and that our nature is not fixed, you know, that they believe human nature actually is is malleable. And so I think conservatives, people of faith generally, um, even like the anarchists, they, they have an idea of a fixed human nature and, and they don't believe that in general, um, we are capable of major historical progress in the moral realm. So those are very broad generalities. And they, of course, like break down in individual circumstances and, and everyone has their own unique story. But if I'm, if I'm just trying to start with common opinion and, you know, common sense to try to understand things, and that's a very Aristotelian method there, I would add, you know, then that's sort of where I would begin to understand that left-right divide that we're seeing. And, um, and yeah, so, but we do have to, we're going to have to pull in people who disagree with us on those things, you know, because we are, I think we really are going to have to have a sort of mass people's movement to, to, bend off some of this very bad stuff. And we are in the last chapter. We have to act now because if not, <laughs> the doors are closing. We have to take a one and only break, but before we, we go, yeah. and, and, you know, that's the problem. I, you been mentioning religion and science. Science has become dogmatic, in my opinion. I used to think yes. that science was all about observation, observation, and more observation, and questioning the scientific consensus, but now they tell you the science is settled, just like science yes. was settled with cigarettes and DDT and even vegetable <laughs> oil. Oh, I'm sorry. We are the, the ones talking about that and how eating fat, actually real fat is good for you, but they tell us no, It's good no. for you. <laughs> exactly. So, 
I want to discuss when we come back inclusive capitalism. And I don't mean to be dropping names, but I interviewed Dolores, I mean, Charlotte Iserby years ago, mm-hmm. the deliberate dumbing down of America. And her name keeps coming back to my mind when I speak with you because it is part of the the problem. It is part of the, the script. They want to dumb down the population so you don't question anyone. Even COVID-19, nope, the science is settled. Those masks, even though they're the equivalent of a mosquito going through a fence, but you still need to wear it a year after. It doesn't matter if you are vaccinated or not. But when we come back, I want to discuss this. Also, conscious capitalism. I discussed this, and I mentioned this, folks, Charlotte Iserby or Conscious Capitalism. I did these shows in the past. If you want to go back for more information, you are always welcome to go to the archive. But I discussed Conscious Capitalism, which I agree with if it's, for example, if you know a, a, a publicly traded company that say they deal with food and they promise the shareholders, look, we don't want to put any glyphosate in our food because that's good for people. I believe in that kind of conscious capitalism. The one I don't believe in is the inclusive capitalism originating from the Vatican. And when we come back, we're going to dive deep into this portion. How can people learn more about your work, Julianne? Well, I I have a public profile on Facebook. It's it's not a page, it's a profile, and you don't have to be a Facebook user to access my posts it's you know julianne romanello and you can you'll know it's me because i have a black shirt that says resist the new world order (laughs) on it (laughs) so you can i think i can't really friend anyone anymore but you can follow Uh, and then i've started a website it's still in the beginning phases uh, but i do i've posted a lot of of my interviews and things like that there and it is www.heartsoverhexagons.com so the shape heartsoverhexagons.com and you know I'm trying to get that beefed up with actually writing some things on on there but you know the, the social media has been so effective that it's been hard for me to transition on, but I do hope to do that soon. So you can find me there and, and, and send me an email at julianne.romanello at gmail.com. So much more to discuss with Julianne Romanello when we come back. I want to also discuss the high cost of low price. Makes you wonder what that is, but I'll tell you when we return. This is Mel Hostelrick, and you are listening to Veritas. Don't go anywhere. Thank you for listening to the first part of this important Veritas interview. To listen to the rest, and all of our material, proceed to the member section, or join the Veritas family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. You can make your purchase with a credit card, PayPal, cash, check, money order, and even cryptocurrency. We are now accepting, Bitcoin, Litecoin, and Ethereum. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store, for Focus Life Force Energy, MMS. CBD pure hemp oil, pure organic sulfur, flash drives with all our Sanitas and Veritas seasons, and other great products. And if you're listening on YouTube, like, subscribe, and share it. And click the bell to be notified when new interviews are available. Now, proceed to the members section or subscribe, to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Thank you for listening to Veritas. Because you don't want to believe. You want to know. <laughs>